Okay, so we are recording. This is a little bit different from usual. Uh, we are recording at home um, in our respective houses. And um, yeah, feeling real cozy up in here. We had some pretty great technical difficulties. <laughs> so this is actually not our first time starting today. Um, I She hulked the USB mic um, connection with my microphone and somehow ripped out the micro USB connection and now I am holding it together with my hands so <laughs> that's uh that's pretty cool I guess <laughs> and uh yeah and also just for legal purposes because uh, we are doing this over Skype Skype has me say that we are both uh consenting to being recorded and the the term they used was to avoid any legal snafus. So mm. legal snafus avoided. Yeah. Cool. Um. Yeah. So we are recording at home. Like I said, there are no screaming children, um, nor crackling There's a humming fires. furnace. There is a humming furnace. There is a sleeping retired greyhound at Mari's, and there are two. I guess they're asleep. <laughs> dogs at mine um so maybe we'll have a little bit of an extra guest later yeah okay so okay let's get started hello and welcome to our podcast i'm claire and i'm mari and together we're the host of the yellow ranger fan club a monthly pop culture podcast about being female asian and dorky I guess we're going to start on our um, actual topic of the day, beauty. Um, not that you guys haven't already inundated with um, beauty conversations already. <laughs> so to start off with a nice question, what is your self-care like, Mari? My self-care? Ooh, way too much Netflix. <laughs> um, from a beauty standard, I am really lazy, like really lazy. If it... <laughs> It takes more than a couple of minutes. I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, like, I don't wear makeup because <laughs> um, I'm lazy. <laughs> um, well, I, I do use tinted sunscreen because I like the mineral sunscreen. So I guess I don't know if that counts. <laughs> well, you know, it makes you feel better. Um I think anything that makes you feel better is self-care. There was like a meme somewhere. It was like, it's the year 2030. Anything a woman does can be considered self-care. And it's just like this like mountain of like, just like work or whatever. It's like, if I call it self-care, it's better. <laughs> um, anyway, so, but no, I don't want to take away the importance of actually taking time for yourself and doing things that makes you feel warm and, happy in your soul mm -hmm. yeah it's really important it and you're beautiful really... and you deserve it yeah okay and that is going to be the thesis for our today's topic okay yes um so yeah my self-care um because we can't go about talking not about me um <laughs> <laughs> I mean I I think really I love I love tea um mm. And there's nothing quite like a mug of like nice tea or cocoa and watching some silly movies or heartwarming film. Um, 
So yeah, that's my self-care. But from a beauty perspective, I I love getting my nails done. Um, ah, that's good yes. One. Yeah, so I am absolutely terrible at um, putting on manicure, like with one of my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I am terribly uh, right hand. I am so right-handed and I can't really work very well with my left hand on my nails. I can do, so if I do it at home, there's only like half of me that would be like presentable. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, and apparently manicure places do not take kindly to say, hey, can you just do the right hand for me? They don't, they don't like that. So yeah, <clears throat> like if I go to a conference, like right before a conference or like a large presentation, I always try to go and get my manicures done. I'm much more of a pedicure person than a manicure person. You know what is really weird? Pedicures last forever. Yeah, I love it. Maybe I that's why I do it. <laughs> I don't know why. I have a pedicure on me right now from like three months ago. Mm. Yeah, but then like my manicures like fell off in like two weeks. Yeah, I always, I'm constantly, as soon as I get a manicure, it's chipped, it's dented, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, like immediately. (laughs) Yeah, I always, I always now go for the gel and I, I need to try the dip. Oh, I've never, I haven't even heard of the dip. Yeah, I, I saw this recently and the dip was like, it's supposed to be like a more gentle way to have like a really hard nail polish or yeah so and you don't have to go through the uv light um which is like what i'm terrified of getting like is hand cancer from my manicures yes (laughs) yeah um so anyways um but i do i do love a good gel nail polish because they last for me like forever and they don't really chip for me. They just peel off. Oh, mine grew out. Yeah. I am impressed. I can never last that long. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, also, uh, the Asian American community also has a really interesting um, tie-in with um, the manicure and pedicure salons. So mm-hmm. I don't think we're, I don't think we're talking about that today, are we? Um. I don't think so, but they do have a really neat section of the um, Where Beauty Lies exhibit dedicated to um, to nail salons and their place in the Asian community. Yeah, and I think we should definitely do a story on that later. Yeah, because it's really cool. Yeah. Because okay. there's a lot of skill and a lot of um, experience involved. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. Anyways, agreed on all fronts. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I'm gonna get started on some of the other topics. I'm gonna talk about not. I think uh, <laughs> I'm gonna talk about um, hair today, um, specifically Asian hair. 
Um, in general, I think we're actually having a really good moment with Asian beauty um, where we are today, especially like the Korean skincare routines and like mm-hmm. Asian YouTube stars are like everywhere. So shout out to Michelle Fan and Patrick Starr and Nabella Noor and so many other people. Um, but there's like this really intense, well, not intense, but there's a more interest um, that has been has been um, brought into the media spotlight th- about Asian beauty and um, Asian skincare routines. And there's even just like so many like interesting little things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But oh man, the the ten or twenty step skincare routines, I cannot handle it. <laughs> So I totally do it. You do? Oh, you're so I good. <laughs> so it is, it's actually really interesting. Um, Like my mom, I didn't realize that there was like this skincare step routine thing. But my mom kind of introduced that to me when I was in like middle school. Mm. So I've been doing like the toner and like lotion um, and sunscreen since I was like a middle schooler. And... um. Yeah, and, like, acne treatments, like, all of that. And so I didn't realize there was, like, it was called a thing. It was just, like, what my mom told me to do and, like, Mm -hmm. what I've been doing for my entire life. And it wasn't until I was, until, like, a couple years ago and people were, like, did you hear about the Korean 10-step beauty routine? I'm, like, why is that Korean? Like, (laughs) I've been doing that forever. Why is this new? (laughs) Why is this new? And for me, it was shocking because I was, like, you don't do that because... Like, my mom did it, like, and, you know, my sister does it, and I do it, and my grandmother does it. So, and, you know, I'm, I'm not really privy to other people's, like, night routines or morning routines, right? <laughs> so, it's just like, what? You don't do that? Like, you don't use a toner? <laughs> I've gone through periods where I'm better about it, and then I just fall off the wagon mm. real hard. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty easy to fall off the wagon, though. Like, I remember in college, there's, like, definitely times in which I was just like, I'm too tired and also too broke. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it can get really pricey. It is. It's it's actually really expensive. Yeah. yeah. And, like, reading the, the ingredients. I Ugh. did see an article. Oh, I don't remember where I saw it. I'll have to look it up. And they were talking about how... Um, to have really nice skin, it's all about how much money you spend on it because you need to go and see a dermatologist and you need to get, you know, all of those professional treatments and things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is stupid the amount of money that I spend on skincare. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, I, I feel like it's very vulnerable to uh, <laughs> to disclose like my my typical beauty routine but I do I do see like uh like a I do get a facial every month Ooh, good for you yeah it is I have never had a facial (laughs) on the other end of the spectrum (laughs) well um it's never too late to start it is very it is very calming um except when they get to the extraction portion at which point it is never fun (laughs) because <laughs> they try to get all of the blackhead out all of, like sebum and like ugh, worst feelings well 
I'm also um, allergic to lanolin. Oh. And so that makes it really challenging for me to find like lip balms and a lot of skincare products have lanolin in them. Like everyone's favorite Aquaphor, for instance. And so, um, and so I have to avoid all of that, which makes the whole vegan skincare uh, trend recently amazing. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Like, if you if you are allergic, you know, to certain ingredients, that really does limit your ability to truly enjoy, it, and it just becomes this more stressful, stressful situation, right? And like having yeah. good skin really becomes this like status symbol almost you know it does it really does yeah Mm. anyways um yeah well I'm gonna talk about hair so (laughs) 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 nothing like what we just talked about I'm sorry if you had thought we were gonna talk about skincare no we're gonna talk about hair and what are you talking about Mari I am talking about fashion through history. Yeah, so, so nothing, nothing on uh, <laughs> skincare. Sorry to, sorry to uh, throw you a a uh, curveball there. We might have to come <laughs> back and do another one about skincare. Clearly, because we just spent a long time talking about it, and it's not even our subject. And you can educate me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can educate you. I could send you a lot of YouTube links, though. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yes, so I'm going to talk about hair because specifically Asian hair, it's got this like weird exoticized, um, I guess, imagery around it, right? Like when you think of Asian hair, what do you think about, Mari? Um, When I think about Asian hair, I think, well, my hair is really thick and painfully straight. So... Like, I have given myself hair splinters before. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you okay? So, yeah. So maybe maybe dangerous is what I think. <laughs> okay. Well, that's very different. But I think I think you're onto something there with, like, long, thick, or not long, but thick, straight black hair, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, every time there's, like, an Asian person on screen for the longest time, they are, it's basically synonymous with the character design of like long black straight hair or like with like sometimes you get the you get the blunt bangs over you know the eyebrows part which side note I thought it was really funny when like Zoe Deschanel came out with like her blunt bangs and everybody's like oh my gosh blunt bangs is totally a thing it's like so new and I'm like have you not seen other like all the Asian <laughs> kids growing up we all had blunt bangs oh yes yet. I right? do too yeah (laughs) I have a three head like my forehead is really short so it's a three head (laughs) oh that's funny so I can never carry bangs because if I carry bangs like I can't see ah um but um examples of Asian um Asian people in um in media with like long hairs right Trixie Tang and Fairly Odd Parents had like long um, thick black hair. Zuli and Asami Sato from Legend of Korra. Wanda Lee from The Magic School Bus had the bangs. Not necessarily <laughs> long hair, but bangs, right? 
and um definitely lucy Liu. she's like the queen of like long black hair and it's actually really interesting because you also see that um in pornography uh oh, really? yes like uh it's kind of like almost like a calling card of like the dragon lady stereotype oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah like uh since say asia carrera definitely had a time in which she had really long black hair um and asa akira do you know who asa akira is i don't okay um she is actually one of um i would say one of the most um well-known porn stars and it's crazy to me because i thought she's been around forever but turns out she's like only 33 which is insane and she's been (laughs) over like 500 adult films Oh my gosh. Was the second Asian person to win like adult uh, video AVN. I don't know what AVN stands for. Adult. uh, Still no idea what AVN stands for. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going down that that right now. But yeah, she she was like in a lot of Asian adult film. Like if you think about an Asian porn star, you're some variant of her but she has this like really long black hair like asian um, porn star in american porn yes or it's western very, porn or like yeah oh okay yeah in I, Ameri- I just wanna, i'm not hip i don't know these things <laughs> i don't know i i don't usually uh go down that path anyways <laughs> not to shame you if you do but um asa akira um definitely had the long black hair Anna Mae Wong also had sort of that look right yes definitely with didn't she have the bangs she did she did have the bangs um so she was really uh advocating for the blunt bangs before it was cool y'all yeah so apparently I don't know anyone modern but I do know Anna Mae Wong from (laughs) the silent film era (laughs) I think that speaks so much um and Nancy Kwan, even though, um, and she was mixed race, but she still kind of played up her quote unquote Asian uh, look using like the long, like with really long hair. Um, and I remember growing up and I was like, oh, I want Nancy Kwan's hair. Cause it was just like, who is Nancy Kwan? She was in Flower Drum Song. She was also, oh, uh, she was also in the Life and Times of Susie Wong. Like, oh, okay, okay. And uh, going back into the Wing Luke Museum, she was also featured as one of the original pioneers of Asian American on the screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, the not the life and times, the world of Susie Wong. Um, that's the movie. So, yeah, and I always just thought she was like super amazing. Um. Anyways, yeah, but but in reality, like Asian hair comes in all all sizes. She hair comes in all sizes, all textures, all lengths, right? Like some of us have lighter mm-hmm. hair. Um, yeah, there are a lot of different shades. Mhm. Um, they are typically on the darker side, so they, I mean, they 
did get that right, but the consistency of our hair, right? The texture. There's mm -hmm. a lot of us have like waves and even curly hair, and I don't mm -hmm. think it's celebrated as much. Um, especially I wanted curly hair. Me too. I had a conversation with my colleague the other day, and she has this glorious, like, curly hair, like the ringlets. Oh. And we were having hair envy. <laughs> yeah, because people with curly hair always want straight hair. People with straight hair always want curly hair. I know. We're never happy, right? Yeah, yeah. She was just like, I wish I had your hair. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I wish I had your hair. And then all of the other people on the team was like, what is wrong with you guys? Can you get back to work? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like our hair is this like, you know, so much representation that we don't really talk about. Um, and it's just, it's very, it's very strange about how like this exotic look comes from. And I don't really know if I could find any historical context about why, why this like archetype exists, right? It's, mm. it's almost like a meme um yeah uh side note just another another sidebar while I was trying to look for Asian hair and now like my my search history is like totally weird and messed up <laughs> uh, <laughs> like they're just like oh are you interested in this I actually got this like really upsetting recommendation called how to get an Asian girlfriend <laughs> oh yikes yeah and it's a book by Derek Strong I I book. It's a book. Is it's it satire? Please tell me it's satire. It's not satire. It's oh, like yikes. for reals and like it's a self-published book on Amazon. So I don't know what I triggered, but apparently like the Googles now think I'm like a terrible human being. <laughs> well, the Google thinks you're trying to find an Asian girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> He was like, well, clearly you are obsessed about Asian hair. So instead of you being an Asian woman trying to do research on Asian American fashion trends and Asa Akira, I'm just going to tell you how to get an Asian girlfriend. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> clearly you have a fetish. <laughs> Apparently. Um, so I refused to pay money for that book. However, I was intrigued. Um, so I, I Googled it because, uh, you know, if they think I'm a terrible person, I might as well go down it. <laughs> and there, lean into it yeah you know what I'll own it whatever and there was a video from Christina um that had oh no now I remember why I probably got posted with that but, but uh -oh. Christina Wong's video um had Asian women doing that book and the panelists actually included Asa Akira oh so, uh, if you have was the time, it, was it interesting? It was really, it was interesting. It was a little bit concerning, I think, about the actual things that Derek Strong believed that Asian women are into. Because you know we're all the same, <laughs> and we all apparently have long dark hair, or yeah, long black, straight black hair, and um, yeah, another another cartoon character that had this official is um, Juniper Lee. There was a cartoon that I didn't know about called The Life and Times of Juniper Lee. So um, I do kind of want to watch it. But um, anyways. I'm a total cartoon dork and I didn't know about that. 
<laughs> yeah, me too. I was like, okay, I know about Jake Jake Long, Asian Dragon, or Teenage Dragon. Asian Long, oh, Teenage Dragon. I don't know about that one. Oh, I maybe. The, is that from the 90s? It's from the early 2000s. Oh. And late I didn't. I didn't watch that one. And there's also Jackie Chang Adventures, which is like all up into it, right? <laughs> the best. Um, and yeah. So, um, going back to hair, um, yeah, the hair, like Asian hair, is somehow equated to like both being hypersexual and also submissive. Like you see good girls, quote unquote, like knives chow before the breakup, and like. Brooke Soso in Orange is the New Black, Orange is the New Black, um, having sort of like the straight hair, like very demure, right? And then you also have, on the other side of the spectrum, you have like the dragon ladies who also have this like really exotic hair with the bangs, you know, you see that in like Asia Carrera, Asa Akira, Anna Mae Wong's character, even Gogo Yubari from Kill Bill. Mm. So... So given all of this context, right, how do you go by showing that you are an independent woman, you are a rebel in screen, um, and you are Asian? Well, by dyeing your hair. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, um, there's a trope that's come up a while ago, and it was like, this one simple trick of making your character design seem like super independent and cool um, is to put streaks of blue or purple or maybe red um, in the Asian character's hair. And I, I don't know, it's like the bad pickup line. <laughs> You're not like other girls, uh-huh. but, like, but like for Asians, right? And you see this in <laughs> Knives Chow post breakup, which... I think like was actually a point for a setup of a joke, but um, you know Tina Cohen Chang in Glee had the blue hair and she was like, "I'm not like the other Asians. I'm like a rebel." You see see it in Mako Mori in Pacific Rim, um, Gogo Tamago in Big Hero Six. Um, yeah, so like definitely a whole host of characters. Tumblr posted this like, um three by three or three by four grid of all of the Asian quote unquote rebels uh, with different colored hair. (laughs) When I was in high school, I totally had like blue, green, purple, red hair. (laughs) Apparently I wasn't like the other girls. Yeah. But I mean, I have a really conflicted view on this. Like we're all the same. We're a monolith. We're a monolith. Right. But like, (laughs) And clearly the only thing that can differentiate us is by hair color. Um, and and I'm saying well, there's this the whole like, oh well, all Asians look the same. <laughs> so yeah, clearly by differentiating ourselves is through dyeing something that is temporary. Of course, I'm not I'm keeping this to Asian or to um Western media, right? Not necessarily like anime in which the characters do typically have different hair colors in general. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is almost um, function because it's hard to animate or like when you're trying to draw characters, you are limited to a set number of um, faces and 
a lot of the animation happens really quickly. So you want like easy distinction between characters. Mm-hmm. And anime was especially targeted casts. <laughs> yeah, especially with big casts and like because it's targeted sometimes at a younger audience like like subtle things to you don't really want them to like try to differentiate the cast by like subtle character differences. You try it by like big character design changes. And Hera just happens to be one of the like character yeah. design things. Like Sailor so Moon. I wanted, yeah, like Sailor Moon. And so I wanted to call that out as a caveat. Um, like we're not talking about like all anime characters shouldn't like have colored hair or like having colored hair is bad. I'm just saying that it's this seems to be a trope, right? Um, especially In for Western, Western media. In Western media, right? Because mm-hmm. in movies and shows, like having this is almost become a crutch for for character design because they can't really imagine, like maybe it is difficult to imagine like a complex Asian character without using like, especially for female Asian characters having like just normal natural hair, right? Like it could be it could be a character design, but it has to be a character design that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. instead of saying like let's just make these asian characters stand out by giving her like blue hair instead of thinking about why does she have blue hair or like should she be wearing a leather jacket or like things like that so a call out i really wanted to make was mako mori in pacific rim because in pacific rim they're kind of in an apocalyptic like wartime battle right and she mm-hmm. still has this like brilliant blue hair and so I looked at an interview with um, Guillermo del Toro, and he was like, well, she dyes her hair blue to remind her of the trauma of losing her family in the Tokyo attack. So I get it, but I feel like you could have inclu- incorporated that blue into something even, you know, more easy to maintain, like nail polish or her clothes or whatever, right? Not necessarily her hair, because I think a flaw of people not realizing is that Asian hair is incredibly difficult to color. Oh my gosh. When I colored my hair, I would have to bleach it for like an hour. And then it was all thin and tangly and really unhealthy. And <laughs> right. But I mean, it was a lot of work. It is so much work. So like, th- hence why I don't about- do it anymore. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I looked into the amount of up, like upkeep and I was like I can never have unicorn hair I will buy a wig like (laughs) right um, yeah I was like I will I will have a wig but as far as I know I don't think Mako Mori is wearing a wig or hair extension clip-ins right like Mm. I think this is kind of kind of the lazy crutch they're talking about right like we'll make her different we're gonna give her blue hair but never thinking about how difficult it is to maintain blue hair unless they have some like sort of new cosmic creation dye but she would literally have to spend on average maybe two two hours every other day that she probably wouldn't have given how badass she is and training all the time and like being on call (laughs) for potential monsters to keep the brilliance of her blue hair yeah I think I dyed my hair like every couple few weeks but it would fade pretty quickly Right. And she had to keep on getting the hair dye like every three to four weeks. It's not like blue is a natural color and you can get it in post-apocalyptic time. She probably have to like ration off like half of her meals for like that little bit of blue and like that bleach, which is probably more use 
helpful for like house cleaning stuff, right? <laughs> so yeah, and so just like the not thinking through like what is required for Asian like Asian characters to maintain these sort of appearances with no new like changes in beauty chemistry or whatever is Mm -hmm. is kind of a hallmark of lazy design right like in um wolverine and deadpool 2 like yukio uh, one of the characters she has her hair like constantly in red or pink and she's supposed to be an assassin and chasing down people like and also like that just that doesn't work (laughs) (laughs) yeah like they just I think it also speaks more like you need more Asians not just in the front of the screen but also in the back writing um, Mm. and understanding like how do how do characters work and like what are some of the limitations of um, being like of our I guess I don't want to say physical limitations because that's gross, but <laughs> how does hair work, right? Like, right. Yeah. And, and, and we really see this a lot through. with um, natural hair in media as well, right? Yes. Yeah. That too. Like with natural hair, like they don't, like it's just like, oh, she naturally has beautiful curls. And it's like, well, do you know the amount of work and product that goes into there? Like, yeah, like is just not very well I guess um understood Mm. or like it's it's a detail that people don't really think about you Mm -hmm. know um and and I talked about women a lot in this but really men are not immune because immune to this sort of standards as well like Rufio and Hook who is super amazing and like childhood childhood crush also (laughs) had red hair and he was a freaking lost boy in Neverland. <laughs> How? Fairy well, magic? He, he never grew, so maybe his hair never grew out? <laughs> okay, so yeah, maybe his hair never grew out. Because he was a lost boy? Did, but how did he get his red hair in the first place? <laughs> in what, like the 1800s or whatever? Isn't that when that took place? I don't know. No, Early uh, 1900s? Well, but the original story. Hmm, that's a good point. I have no idea. Um, yeah, I've got nothing on where that Hook movie is supposed to be taking place. I feel like I should have maybe looked up that. Hang on. Okay, so um, J.M. Barry pu- published a play based on Peter Pan, in 1904, and then the novel came out in 1911. So, early 1900s. Let's see. But the hook is when Robin Williams is, like, grown up, right? Right. So. uh, I haven't seen that movie in so long. I wonder if it holds up. I'm sure it does. It was great. (laughs) It was a fantastic movie, from my recollection. So I guess it's supposed to be in, like, maybe the 80s? No idea. Either way. Definitely an alternate universe from the the original novel, right? 
Yes, yeah. But anyways, yeah, he also had red hair just be like he but in that case it could almost be like a new character function, right? Like he, he was the lead, right? Mhm. But but point still stands like there is it is almost like are you like a checkbox flow? Are you a rebellious character? Are you sensitive? Are you leadership materials? If left Dye your hair blue and purple. If right, dye your hair red and pink, right? <laughs> and so, and I also wanted to give credit uh, where credit is due. Um, this meme actually goes back all the way in 2014 and um, was first noticed by Tumblr user Extra Extra X on October 5th of 2014. And since then, it has been most it has been posted multiple times with a resurgence of this in 2018. So, yes, we're a little bit of the, late to the game on this, but I think it's still worth calling out. But, yeah, like a bigger part of the question is like, why is this so prevalent and why is it so pervasive amongst character design? Um, and, and um, yeah, I guess... I'm very conflicted on this because I agree that it is very, very um, lazy character design and it gets more called out because you don't really see, as far as I can tell, like Latino characters um, or like black characters being specifically identified using like different hair colors. Right. And if they, and with um, white characters to have that hair design or like different color hair, it's a very, it's a very um, specific reason or like part of their motivations, right? Mm. Um, and there's like a quote in here. I don't know where I got this from, but if Buffy were Asian, she'd probably have some sort of hair color that's not black. <laughs> I mean, it's literally color coding. Yes, it it is literally color coding. And it's almost like saying, like, if you're Asian, you're not actually that different. And there's nothing else we can do about who you are, or what you look like, or what you act, other than using your hair as a signifier. Mm. Yeah. Um, so. Whew. That's interesting and a little bit sad. <laughs> Isn't it? Um, and I and I really do think, like, Asian hair is fairly weird weird thing because it seems so deceptively simple to work with right because it's straight you don't need to do like styling with it it'll it'll look exactly like it should theoretically be after you cut it right Mm -hmm. but But it's hard uh, to find someone who's good at cutting asian hair yeah yeah it's just i agree there's like whole threads on reddit and subtle asian beauty like where do you guys go to get your haircuts because we can't (laughs) <laughs> yeah or like um it grows out really strangely Mhm. yeah and it's just it's really it's really crazy and and I also wanted to bring up like even though we just spent like I don't know last 20 minutes talking about lazy hair character design I also wanted to bring up like the trend that right now there's a lot of Asian American or Asian influencer going platinum mm, mm-hmm or going like really, um, really light colored hair. And that, and we talked a little bit about skincare being like a um, status symbol, but hair itself is also a status symbol. 
So I I think it looks great. The platinum or like that slightly gray or slightly Mm -hmm. blue or the pastels. I think it looks fantastic, but oh my gosh, I just, I'm like, oh, the amount of work that would go into that. Yeah. So talking about the amount of work, I actually looked this up. So to go from your virgin or dark black hair to go to that level of platinum, it can take up to 12 hours with like six applications of bleach and can like start at $400. And that's not including the upkeep and like deep conditioning treatments. Um, And touch-ups itself are like $200 each, right? And you need to do this so often. So yeah, because my hair grows like an inch a month. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like an inch of roots every month. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just, it's very strange, right? Because while there is like bad character design and it's just lazy, there is actually a real life example of Asians going and like dyeing their hair either as an act of rebellion of, you know, my hair is always have to be black and it's hard to maintain or just because of fashion trends. Right. And what all, all I'm trying to say is that motivations need to be part of character design and what a person does with their hair is completely up to them and they are awesome and wonderful no matter that they are but just you know think a little bit more care closely when you, when media is trying to go through designing an Asian character mm. yeah um so anyways I was also looking up, uh, I'm trying to end this. I'm sorry, I'm taking so oh. much time. <laughs> no, no, no. This is great. It's really interesting. It's a great conversation. Yeah. So I also looked up why um, bleached hair has become like this new, I guess not new because um, Japan's been doing it forever, mm-hmm. um, but why it's increased in popularity. Um, part of this is due to 2014, um, because of the introduction of Olaplex, which allows bleach hair to, like, I guess, repair breakage. And oh. you can, you, and if you incorporate it, it um, makes lifting up to like 10 levels of hair um, a more achievable feat, right? And actually, um, within the last two years, there was a salon that when they introduced the hair paint formula that includes the Olaplex, like the number of Asian clients doubled. Um, Wow. So yeah, there's definitely like a call and demand for like different colored hair amongst Asian clientels. Um, So yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I'm going to go about about it the lazy way. And uh, I'm looking forward to my hair going gray because then I can just diet whatever color I want and not have to bleach it yeah I I you know I I kind of feel the same way my grandma um after she's gone gray has uh kept her hair in various shades of magenta and red (gasps) I love it um and it's just fantastic because I see a lot of like she's so easy to pick out in a like crowd of tai chi practitioners (laughs) (laughs) Because a lot of them keep like having their black hair dyed black or brown. And then there's like my grandma who's just like, screw this, maroon. Yeah. It's never going to be natural. I might as well go all the way around. Right? Oh, totally. So, yeah. Character. If you have an old Asian grandmother with gray hair, please, please put maroon in her hair. <laughs> I love that. Your grandmother is such a kindred spirit. She is fantastic. She is my favorite person. 
Yeah, but um, <laughs> how do I end this, right? Um, tying together both what's happening in terms of the like Asian American beauty and blog blogospheres and influencer spheres looking to bleach their hairs either as like you know a departure departure for um what is the expectations for like an asian asian person to be like demure and quiet and i don't know the other sort of words that come along with that model minority stereotypes mm-hmm. right um and also just have and requesting hollywood and like other media to be like just be a little bit more cognizant as to how much effort it takes for an asian woman to truly have unicorn hair <laughs> and <laughs> reconcile reconcile that with your character design and think a little bit clo- more closely as to um you know the requirements for for your character especially if they're asian right mm-hmm um one one character in which i would say probably like it would actually make sense for and like all the characters that i listed before to have streaks of blue is probably tina ko and chang and glee right she's not under you know a battle atmosphere she's not chasing down assassins she is in high school and in high school a lot of us do definitely experiments with hair color you know like trying to figure out what do we want Maybe we should go with a mohawk, right? And also <laughs> calling out for maybe a little bit more of like different hairstylings amongst your Asian characters because almost all of them have either this like shaggy, cool, like black haircut, you know, or like long black hair or the blunt bangs, right? Be a little bit more exciting. Like, yeah, I know Asian hair is hard to cut in style, but be explicit. Figure out why. Like, <laughs> If if Blink and X Men Days have curls, where did she go to get her digital perms? Like, was it magic? Is it her mutation? Who knows? Right? <laughs> yeah. So that's that's all. That's all I have on hair. I hope that was interesting. I know there's not a lot. Very of, interesting. I know there's not a lot of like larger story time around it, but it's just calling out what uh what this could be. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting perspective and something I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad. Um, but now you get a. Uh, I think you're going to talk about story time and history time, right? Yes, that's well, what I'm here for. Fashion and history. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey. This is like my research journey that I went on. So. Um, I started off by researching Asian influences on Western fashion throughout history. And yeah, in 2015, the Metropolitan Museum of Art had an exhibit called China Through the Looking Glass. And, you know, it's the bat, so it was stunning. Um, But it kind of glossed over appropriation and other problems. Um, But they were really concentrating on the fantasy of China throughout history and really focusing on the positives. Oh, so, I mean, you know, okay. (laughs) Wait, Um, okay, question. Yes. Um, Did you look at the Met Gala, um, I guess, like the Met Gala picture of all of the celebrities that were coming at the time? No. Okay. Um, So every, 
like the first of May, right? Every time they have one of these like new exhibits, um, they had that Met Gala ball, and like right. all the characters are supposed or characters. I just called celebrities characters. Oh, this is <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, is to have like the the party and the gala, and one of the big things is like seeing how the celebrities interpret that um that theme and i just wanted to call out uh, fan bing bing that year uh she is now missing and in a weird place i believe with the chinese government uh, oh yikes <laughs> yeah i think she was she like vanished for a couple of months i'm not quite sure where she was but um she came in with like the most brilliant of um design like it was absolutely stunning she had this um beautiful if you look her up and so this was the met gala 2015 theme china through the looking glass yes yeah and i think rihanna also had this like gorgeous gorgeous yellow cape yeah anyways um sorry to interrupt but i remember being very excited about the Met Gala like fashion that year and I wanted to like look at everyone and um, yeah um, there was some definitely very interesting interpretations on what China through the looking glass and that fashion should be like Sarah Jessica Parker um, had a headdress that oh. um, kind of looked like the like the flame character from the Olympics <laughs> okay yeah but yeah so yeah they were really concentrating on sort of like what is this fantastical concept of china is and so it it didn't really um help me with the research that i was hoping to do it if you can look up the um exhibit though it's really pretty I did, however, learn two things, that uh, Chinese silk influenced Western style from the 16th century onward due to trade with China. And so that makes sense, right? Trade with China. And so it makes this huge impact on Western style and has made a huge impact on Western style for centuries, basically. And there's a term, chinoiserie, which is a a style in art or decoration reflecting Chinese qualities or motifs. Thanks, Merriam-Webster. It was first used in 1883, and so it's like a late 17th to mid-18th century sort of trend. Mm. And, and why do they use a French, like, it's it sounds French. So I, I think it is. Okay. So is it because the French were the first to trade in silk, or why? Um, You know, I'm not totally sure, but I, I mean... Paris was a real uh, center for fashion, right, for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I think so, still is. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if maybe it comes from that. Hmm. Well, listeners, if you have any ideas on the entomology of Shinoasiru, we'd be very interested in knowing. Yes. So um, I was also poking through some newspapers. Well, I'll also talk about um, Paris and Orientalism and that sort of a thing as well. Ooh, so, yeah. I'm so, it. <laughs> I found an article from the Philadelphia Inquirer from 1920 
that discuss the season's trends. And um, according to Marjorie, the journalist with only a first name, uh, wraps and dresses <laughs> with a marked Chinese influence had taken over and turbans were popular as well. So they were getting a lot of influence from the Orient, which is sort of a wide ranging, broad term. Um, and I think that this is because 10 years prior, there was, um, in, so in 1910, there was a ballet based on A Thousand and One Nights, which became a huge success in Paris. And that made Orientalism super, super popular at that time. Mm. And so, what is that ballet? Oh, uh, the 1001 Nights. 1001 Nights, yeah. And so it was less chinoiserie and more of a Middle Eastern aesthetic yeah. version of Orientalism. But they still said Orientalism. Um, and also in 1920, when this article came out, um, people were sort of, sorry, my dog's walking around. <laughs> Hi, puppers. <laughs> He's doing the ear flaps and wandering around. Oh, cute. <laughs> so is less chinoiserie more of an appropriated Middle Eastern aesthetic version of Orientalism? And um, also in 1920, people were sort of just getting back into the pre-war fashion stuff. So it's less desperately. Are you going to lie down now, pupper? <laughs> yeah, you're a good boy. All dogs are good boys. Yeah, and they're, all, they're all the best boys and girls. They are the bestest. <laughs> You can lie down. You don't have to stare at me like I'm going to give you a treat because I don't have anything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh I'm, I'm, I'm getting the stare. Oh, no, the stare. The stare. The, I'm starving. I'm so hungry. Almost uh, like you never feed them. Oh, I know, right? Mm-hmm. The way he acts about people with treats, you would think that we never feed him. Oh my gosh, we had our dog walker come um, on Friday, and um, and uh, yeah, so I had been like, oh, do you want to give them treats before you take them out? And I think Gibbs, my Chow Chow, just about like took off her hand. <gasps> He was just like so excited because she was like, "No, we're gonna be nice, like be nice." And I'm just like, "Oh god, this is mortifying." Yeah, I had to teach Indy gentle. Mm, yeah, because he would get like so excited and like put your entire hand in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like dogs with like large mouths don't quite understand that if you take the whole hand into the mouth, it is scary. Fortunately, as a greyhound, he doesn't have a very strong jaw, but, you know. Yeah, still scary. Like, cows <laughs> do have very strong jaws, because they're theoretically oh, yeah. supposed to be, like, the same bite strength as, like, a grizzly bear when they're angry. <gasps> really? Wow. That's just what I read. I feel like a lot of it is baloney and, like, good marketing. But uh, that is still pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> Just, don't take off my face please don't take off my face yeah really 
Yeah, Only if you have treats on your face. Well, sometimes he sleeps in the same bed as us, and like he has very vivid dreams. Oh. <laughs> and so I'm just like, please don't have a crazy dream or something and take my face off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. We can't let Indy be in our bed because he's so big. Mm, but, yeah. And then, you know, if he's chasing rabbits in his sleep, then it's all over. It's all over. <laughs> Someone's yeah. getting kicked out. <laughs> I, I think it's typically my husband that gets kicked out when uh, <laughs> Gibbs goes, well, that's not true. Maybe it's me. He sleeps with his face towards me. He likes staring at me when he sleeps. That's really cute. Yeah, but Chewie likes to stare at my husband when he sleeps. So, like, one dog sleeps on the right side. One dog likes to, like, sleep on their left side. <laughs> and so whenever, whenever like, Gibbs is sleeping in our bed and he's, like, staring at me, I'm just like, oh, please don't, like, take off my face in the middle of the night. <laughs> okay, well, sidebar nation. Yes. Dogs, dogs, dogs. <laughs> the best doggies are happy. Yeah. Okay, so back to 1920. So in 1920, people were, um, it was right after World War One had ended and, you know, there, there were all these rations um, for material and food and everything like that. So by 1920, people were sort of getting back into the pre-war mindset of fashion, right? Mm. And so it sort of makes sense that fashion would kind of take a step back to what was popular before the war. So going back into turbans and the Orient and all that stuff. Hang on. Was turbans, sorry, I'm interrupting so much, but are turbans popular in Europe before the war? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, thanks to 1001 Nights, the, the ballet for Paris. Oh, that happened before the war. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it was unclear. Yeah, that was um, 10 years prior, so like 1910, right before the war. Okay. The Great War. Got it. World War One. Yeah. That war. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to move a little further back. So we went from 1920 to 1910. So we're going back into the 1910s. And um, I found an article from a local paper, the Tacoma Times, um, from 1914. And the title, or the headline is, Oriental Maid Launches Trouser Campaign for Women of America. I I dig it. Yeah, for realsies. And so let me read this uh, article. So the Oriental Maid is Violet Cahoe. So San Francisco, November 28th, to convert American women to... Oriental fashion. That is the task Violet K. Ho, Chinese maid just arrived from the Orient, has set for herself. Miss Ho has come to this country for an American education. She will enter a girls' college in the East soon, either Smith or Wellesley, and while there she will launch a crusade against American style amongst the young women, believing that if she is successful in converting the college girls, they will go out among American women as disciples of Oriental dress. Miss Ho claims that the clothes of the American women are immodest and at the same time ugly. Here are four reasons she gives why the Chinese costume is superior to the American. More beautiful. Simplicity is the soul of charm. Cheaper. The average American husband finds it a burden to keep his wife in fashion. More comfortable. The muscles of the body have freer play and women are not tired out by simply wearing clothes. 
more sensible. Oriental attire tends to health. So, you know, so, a little bit of uh, her, her opinions are clearly influenced by the patriarchy and some institutionalized sexism and problematically rigid gender roles. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah. But uh, question. Yes. So, so like maid, is it an occupation or just like a young Chinese woman? It's unclear. <laughs> okay. That was one of my first questions because it sounds like she went to college in the U.S. That was her plan. Oh, okay. So that was her plan. So she, she hasn't gotten admitted yet. I'm not sure. Okay. I actually <laughs> tried to look up... Um, history if there's any more information about her mm -hmm. um through like genealogy websites and stuff and i couldn't find anything oh that's a good idea to go through genealogy huh but yeah i couldn't uh, you know like history and things like that and yeah i couldn't find anything else about her but there's a photo in this article and it's amazing because she's like sassy and defiant and <laughs> <laughs> what was the what was the american cult like fashion like at the time it was like 1910 right so this is 1914 so basically american fashion was titanic so oh. yeah so titanic was like two years before this or something so that's the period that she lived in Got so it. uh chinese and chinese american women wore is it chung sung is that how it's pronounced no idea, but she pals and chong yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, and blouses and skirts. While um, white women had only just moved on from bustles and corsets to long, narrow skirts that were called hobble skirts and were about as easy to move in as it sounds. <laughs> is this for this is for Asian women? No, that's for that was like white women. <laughs> Hobble skirts. Yes. Oh my god. So is it like the tight, like, sort of? So they kind of balloon out and then get really tight right around like mid calf or so. Oh yeah. So the ones with like the actual like tie, like they uh -huh. some of them have the tie, like a, almost like a trumpet skirt. Yes. Or a mermaid skirt. Got yeah. it. You know, I honestly think that a mermaid skirt should be called a hobble skirt. <laughs> It is impossible to wear them. Like, I I looked at, um, when I was getting married, like, the mermaid silhouette. And, like, the person was like, you should definitely try it on. And I'm like, I don't know how to move in this. I think I'm just going to, like, skip out. Like, I get a burlap sack. Right. <laughs> ah. Nightmares. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, that was the style at the time. But I guess that was an improvement from bustles and corsets and <laughs> things like that. That is a horrifying thought. Yeah. That that's an improvement. <laughs> yeah. Was it just because like. That that's more freeing. <laughs> like is it more freeing because you're not wearing corset? Like why why the leg tie in? Like I'm, I feel so. Con I know this is not the point of your history lesson. But now I'm like fascinated. Yeah. Well I mean. Uh, rigid gender roles, institutionalized sexism. Okay. That has yeah. a lot to do with it, yeah. Uh, also, at this time, women didn't yet have the right to vote. 
in the U.S. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> but and I, I can definitely see like this opening up a market for like freer, easier to move and yes. that violence is um, is advocating. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, I mean, she was she wasn't wrong <laughs> in a lot of cases. Um, so it, her article came out in 1914. And at the time her article came out, World War One had just begun in Europe, like mm-hmm. had been going on for a couple of months. And then just a few months after the Tacoma Times published this article, the first Zeppelin air raids happened in Britain. No. That's yeah. Awful. And so, you know, think about women wearing these corsets and or hobble skirts or, you know, stuff that's not easy to get into or move around in and things like that. And so um, that kind of brings us to the most interesting influence that Asian fashion has had on Western fashion that I thought was the most interesting, and that's pajamas. (laughs) I didn't know that pajamas were Asian. Yeah. So the pants that you're in right now or wish you were in. (laughs) I am. I am actually in pajamas. Right. Thanks for calling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, recording from home, you know. <laughs> so that is from Asia. So according to Merriam-Webster, the word pajama has its origins in the Hindi and Urdu word pajama, which means leg garment. Mm. And after the colonization of India by Britain, the colonizers took pajamas back to Britain with them because they are so comfortable and amazing. But they didn't become really trendy until later. So back to World War One, right? So mm-hmm. Britain colonizes India, brings back pajamas, but they're not like super hot yet. So <laughs> World War One, what does it have to do with pajamas? During the air raids, women had to tumble out of bed and face the night and the public at a moment's notice, right? Oh. So to protect their modesty, their reputation, and their sense of fashion while also wearing something comfortable enough to sleep in, pajamas, spelled with a Y in the British way, became the hot fashion item of the time. Mm. So there's actually a really cool Atlantic article all about it. But um, pajamas became a thing because of World War I. Well, you know what? That is one thing I am very thankful for. <laughs> Me too. Oh, man. What did so, they used to sleep in before? You know, I'm sure it was like big nightgowns or I have no idea. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But there's a, um, so in the article, they quote a fashion editor of the time as she gushed about her new black silk pajamas saying, I do want a little Zep scare so that I can wear them. Of course, I don't want anyone to be killed. <laughs> well, you know what? That is always this constant struggle between fashion and uh, war. War, yeah. <laughs> I wish nobody gets hurt, but I do want to show off my uh, new pajamas. Yeah, right. <laughs> It's kind of like um, the big punk spikes. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta wear them, but I hope no one gets hurt. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Didn't think about the spikes when I was in my punk phase. <laughs> so in 
So, yeah, so that's kind of a romp through Asian influences on Western fashion throughout history and why we have India to thank for pajamas. That is really, really interesting. Oh, man. Now I'm just like, well, it's it's interesting because, like, we're still taking a lot of the inspiration of fashion from um, Asia, right? Like, I think a couple years ago, maybe now, harem pants came back in vogue. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's this, like, very exotic idea of what harem, like, harems look like. I actually have no idea what harems in are like I know what harems are but like I don't <laughs> I don't really know <laughs> what the fashion or um yeah like the fashion or expectations and etiquettes of being in a harem is and I feel like very strange that you just take like one aspect of it out right mm-hmm. without acknowledging all of the patriarchal you know uh, baggage that comes in a harem culture right you asked a really good question about what did people wear before pajamas became a thing in world war one mm. and it looks like it was cotton and linen nightgowns that are kind of thin and maybe not does as not a, preserve your modesty not as much i guess or and they're probably harder to move around into mm. probably or cold it could just be cold yes Yes, also cold. <laughs> mm. And pajamas are definitely a lot, I guess, probably a lot warmer. I wouldn't say they are warm, but I guess it's it would be warmer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Silk is, so, let's see. So you talked about silk to Western culture, right? And when did, when did silk become kind of big in Asia. Did you look that up? Because I did not look that up. Mm, okay. It was so, before the 16th century because that's when um, trade started between China and the West as far as silk trading. Mm, okay. So I'm looking at the silkroadfoundation.org and it says silk became a precious commodity highly sought by other countries at a very early time. So silk's always been, I guess, around um as the Silk Road opened in the second century BC mm. and they found silk uh, wrapped like uh, a silk wrapped mummy um, in Egypt dated 1070 BC, which is the earliest evidence of silk trade. Oh, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so that was really interesting. I'm trying I'm keeping I'm speed reading through this. <laughs> uh, so in Baghdad, silk actually reached, uh, Han Embassy reached Baghdad in AD 97. Um, and so that suggests that silk's been traded since then. So are the pajamas in India um, made of silk as well? I don't think so. Okay. <clears throat> so I think that's a newer thing. Oh, okay. So it's like they took the design of a pajama and then the fabric of China and brought it together in silk pajamas. That's actually a really beautiful story. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. I might be wrong though, but that's what I suspect. Hmm. Because silk is more of a upper class thing, right? All around the world. That is true. Silk is very expensive, even even back then. 
so this is actually really interesting. I'm reading about silk now. So 4th century BC, the Greeks and Roman began talking of Ceres, the kingdom of silk. Some historians believe the first Roman to set eyes upon the fabulous fat brick were the legions of Marcus Licinus Crassus, governor of Syria. So I might be butchering the name, so apologies. <laughs> At the fateful battle of Carrhae near the Euphrates River in 53 BC, the soldiers were so startled by the bright silken banners of the Parthi- Parthian troops that they fled in panic. Wow. Within decades, Chinese silks became widely known and worn by the rich and noble families of Rome. And, in fact, the Roman emperor Heliogabalus, AD 218 to 222, wore nothing but silk. So, that's pretty, pretty cool. Um, and by 380, Marcellinus Amianus? <laughs> uh, I'm doing my best here. Reported. The use of silk, which is... I wouldn't be doing any better. <laughs> Thank you. The use of silk, which was once confined to the nobility, has now spread to all classes without distinction, even to the lowest. Hmm. And the craving of silk continued to increase over the centuries. Hmm. Yeah. And the best Chinese bark, which is a particular kind of silk, costs as much as 300 denarii, which was a Roman soldier's salary for an entire year. Whew. Yeah. Um... Well, this was a very interesting sentence right after. It was like, silk was even beginning to have a civilizing effects on the barbarian. <laughs> Who wrote it? That's, that's not biased. Oh, God. Okay. Or judgmental. Yeah. What? What? Okay. I feel like I need to now just go look up the Silk Road Foundation. So I'm not an appropriate source. This is what Google told me to click on. <laughs> and it also told me to click on terrible other things. So. Who knows? Maybe Google has it out for me. Um, <laughs> and in 408 AD, when El- Alaric, a goth, besieged Rome, his price for sparing the city included 5,000 pounds of gold, 3,000 pounds of pepper, 30,000 pounds of silver, and 4,000 tunics of silk. Wow. So, okay. Also, the Silk Rome Foundation is only, this website was only copyrighted from 1997 to 2000. So. But yeah, maybe um, maybe we should do something on the Silk Road. We should. I think that'd be very interesting. Definitely not technically about Asian American culture, but it is Asian Western influence and history. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I know we were supposed to talk about being dark, dorky and pop culture, but have to understand the history to get a pop culture. Right. <laughs> right. And I'm, uh, I'm a big history dork. Like, I love this stuff. So. God, yeah, I love history, too. This is, I mean, this is why we have this podcast, right? Right. Totally. All right. I think, is that everything? I think so. Okay, wait. We need to talk about what makes us happy this week. What made you happy this week? Oh, what made me happy this week? Uh... Oh, oh, my gosh. I'm totally blanking out. It's okay, we can cut this. <laughs> what did I do this week? Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, I finished my Christmas shopping. Ooh, okay. That, that made me happy. 
That's good. Yes. Uh, I went grocery shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Groceries are very important. They feed our souls. Yes. And, you know, when you can afford groceries, it's great. It's true. It's true. Um, Nice. Well, um, depending on when this comes out, I might have to take out Christmas shopping. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Um, also, what? my dog may be happy. That That is the best, right? Okay. Because yeah, he's so sweet. <gasps> Puppies. Okay. Let's see. What made me happy this week? Um, like you, rampant consumerism makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> dogs. Dogs always make me happy. Oh, yes. Okay. So, um, my chow chow doesn't like sleeping on um dog beds or um furniture very much other than like her bed and um it's actually really troubling because we have hardwood floors downstairs and he has bad elbows oh and bad joints and he doesn't he hasn't quite figured out how to go down gently he's like six years old and he still hasn't figured out how to like gently lie down so he slams his elbows against the ground when he wants to lie down oh my gosh it's a really gross sound it just sounds like thud right so what made me really happy was i found out that he really loves standing mats um oh <laughs> like the squishy standing mats you have at like tech offices for people to stand on when you're working at your standing desk, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I I have a standing da- desk at work, um, and um, I brought back my mat, and I was using it as a kitchen mat um, for cooking. Mm-hmm. And I had turned around to go um, in the, these cookies that I was baking, and I turned around, and I just saw our chow chow just like taking it over. Like he was just totally on it. He loved it. And so I decided to make a scientific test because I was like, maybe he was just lying there because he liked to watch me cook, which is true. He does like watching people cook. <laughs> I think, I think that's a thing that all dogs do. So then I moved the, I moved the mat to another place in the house mm-hmm. um, underneath our, our, um, outside windows at a place where he doesn't usually lie in um so I figured the hypothesis is if he decides to lie there then he really does like standing mats and we should get more of these and put it at strategic places where he does lie down Mm -hmm. and he did like I was raking from home and I was observing him like going straight from like he went to the kitchen looked around and didn't see the mat and then like walked around the house and saw the mat like underneath the window and then like curled up there so oh so I'm like oh my gosh you are no longer going to be slamming your elbows against the wood floors so that's my happy thing (laughs) oh that's good I'm also really happy with indoor plumbing (laughs) oh yeah was there trouble with your plumbing no I just well I try to keep a gratitude journal Mm. and I think about you know things that I'm grateful for, which is really funny that I can't think of anything at the moment, really. But, um, and then, you know, some days are harder than others to think of things to be grateful for. And so some days it's like, oh, you know, 
indoor plumbing, <laughs> electricity. <laughs> you know, those are those are very good things to be grateful for because not everyone has those. Yeah, that's very true. So. And that's why I'm grateful for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, another well, sidebar. Also, they're great. Another sidebar. I saw um, one of my friends post like, hey, you know, in your apocalyptic times when, you know, you guys are always talking about um, having to have like the best um, fighters and the best gunmen, you also forget about getting like the knitters and the sewers because you can't get any of that if winter comes and you can't have a warm jacket. That's true. But sewers is spelled S-E-W-E-R-S. And so when I first read it. It looks like sewers. Sewers. <laughs> and I was like, knitters and sewers. Well, yes, indoor plumbing is definitely like needed, I think. Yes, um, that's true. That's true. For cleanliness sake. And also apparently hypothermia. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, that was my uh, story about indoor plumbing some importance and hilarious <laughs> i'm glad you think so so shall we play out i think so all right well thanks for hanging out everyone and listening to our rant about asian hair and um a fascinating story of um i guess asian fashion influences to the west so mm-hmm. if you liked hanging out with us, come and check us out on Twitter and Facebook at YRFC Podcast or search Yellow Ranger Fan Club. We are on Instagram as Yellow Ranger Fan Club. We have a website, yellowrangerfanclub.com. Uh, rate and subscribe us wherever you found us. Um, and we'll be back with more. And if you re- sign up with us, we will tell you updates before we tell our moms. <laughs> <laughs> Also, email us your thoughts, concerns, questions, um, feelings, stories at um, yellowrangerfanclub at gmail.com. That is our. And don't forget to give your dog a treat for us. Yes, yes, or cat, or Or cats, or birds. Yes. Your pet of choice. Your pet of choice, and also kids. We will include that as well. Okay. Uh, animal companion and or (laughs) offspring (laughs) things that depend on you for a living there you go okay (laughs) oh god this is gonna be a very fun editing job (laughs) 